You're listening to 3CR Radio. On today's show, our guests are Daryl O'Donnell, Graham Watson and Ricky Spencer joins us. But we do have Daryl O'Donnell from the Australian Federation of AIDS Organisations, AFAO, on the line. Daryl, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, James. It's a great pleasure to have you on board. The new Labor government has made a commitment for people living with HIV in terms of a big funding program. What can you tell us? Uh, well, it is really exciting. We've got, uh, we work across the parliament and uh, in the lead up to the election, we're working with each of the parties. Uh, Labor has certainly come through and said really clearly and strongly um, we recognise there's an opportunity to, to end HIV transmission in Australia uh, and to lead the world in doing that. So that's exactly what we want to hear because uh, uh, they're right. Um, we can drive down HIV to very low levels in Australia uh, and what they've said is they're going to take it seriously uh, get a task force uh, uh, set up really quickly and uh, and get the funding in place uh, for that work. So I understand there's quite a bit of money that's been allocated. First of all, how much is it? Uh, so, well, it's a down payment uh, rather than a lot of money, but um, but we don't uh, uh, we never sniff at any offering. But uh, one of the things that Labor will do is actually restore funding that's been lost uh, from national organisations such as our own uh, that are uh, tasked with actually delivering. Uh, education, uh, mobilising communities, mobilising and supporting uh, community workforces. So for organisations like my own, uh, where we've been going backwards over a number of years uh, with a sort of a a whittling down of funding, uh, Labor's first commitment is let's restore the capacity that we need for national uh, community-led leadership uh, on HIV. And so that that gets us uh, back to the table uh, and able to work with Labor to actually then deliver on the, the job. So you can't tell us how much they've committed to? Uh, so the commitment um, uh, from Labor is um, uh, uh, is, um, is to restore that funding. Sorry, I'm just looking at my notes. Uh, it's, uh, it's for, for, for our organisation, it's about $1.5 million a year. Uh, for the National Association of People Who Live With HIV and AIDS, it's another $1.5 million a year. So that's actually very important for us in allowing us to, uh, to both be doing our jobs uh, leading community responses. So it sounds like the coalition really gutted funding. Uh, well, it, 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 uh, we did lose funding at the beginning of the coalition government. I, I, I think uh, there was certainly always a good commitment from um, from the coalition. But I think both sides of politics really forget that, uh, you know, we can have all the aspirations in the world, uh, you know, to, to achieve amazing things and, and in this case to end HIV transmission. But you've got to back it in. Uh, you actually need people uh, who can drive and implement that kind of uh, ambitious program. Uh, and I think uh, governments are always looking for savings, and certainly in the coalition government in its early years, uh, they did uh, they did do that. And I think that's held us back. Uh, I think we'd have made more progress uh, if we actually had uh, the funding where it was needed to actually drive that change. So it's a very welcome change under Labor. So it sounds like the Morrison government didn't fund people living with HIV HIV AIDS enough. It didn't support the National Association of People Living with AIDS enough. It didn't provide enough funding. That's right. That's right. So, uh, you know, I think think from a community community perspective, not for, not for profits, we'll we'll always uh, see the need for more. We we we're hungry to to bring about change and to do it faster uh, and earlier. Uh, we know that uh, there isn't endless money, um, but I do think this is an area where uh, we 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 can absolutely make more progress. Uh, if more money and, uh, um, uh, is available so that we can put people on the ground to actually get the job done. So, Daryl, you were pretty instrumental in getting this commitment from Labor. I imagine you spent a lot of time on the phone, a lot of emails. Tell us the backstory to how you lobbied to get this commitment <laughs> from the new Albanese government. Uh, well, it, actually, it, it, it's quite interesting. You know, when I started this job, so I'm um, the CEO, you know, my job is uh, to, to, to lobby government, to influence government. But, you know, when I started, I thought it'd actually be really hard to, to get doors open in Canberra uh, across the parliament. But, but my experience is, uh, you know, we're very lucky to have, um, uh, you know, really actually very committed parliamentarians. We've all, you know, we all hear the criticism of, uh, of things that could be better. Uh, but if you have a good policy idea, if, you, if, you, if you're driven by the evidence and the data and, and, and the passion and the passion that we all have for issues we care about, uh, my, my experience is that uh, uh, parties are actually very responsive. And, uh, and certainly with Labor, that's been the case, and with the Coalition. But with Labor, um, part of the story here is that, you know, uh, HIV arrived in Australia in the 80s and uh, it, as a crisis. 
Uh, it was a really difficult time in the uh, the early 80s. We didn't know much about what we were grappling with. It was a, a rapidly fatal uh, condition that was going to affect a lot of Australians. Uh, and Labor uh, at that time, and they did it in a bipartisan way with the, the coalition opposition, um, but they really stepped up and they made hard choices and hard decisions uh, and set up a very pragmatic, uh, very evidence-oriented approach in Australia that, that they can be proud of. So... So for us, in talking with Labor today, um, part of our story is you got us on the right track. Uh, you, you put Australia at the, the head of the queue globally for an enlightened, bold response that's uh, uh, held us in good stead for 40 years, and now it's time to actually end this epidemic, and we can do it. Yeah, I mean, that was in the Hawke and Keating governments. Uh, Australia certainly led the way uh, in community education and the community-controlled response. Um, winding forward all these years, it seems like, you know, it's a forgotten epidemic, HIV AIDS in Australia. Yeah, it, it is a, a little bit. And uh, it, it's a bit of a, uh, there's a bit of a riddle here as well, because, you know, when, when it was on the front pages, uh, that wasn't great for uh, uh, for those of us who were, you know, living uh, in the epidemic. It wasn't great for people who have HIV. It wasn't great for gay and bisexual men and uh, others who were affected. Um so, so the fact that it's receded, the fact that there's no longer a sense of crisis or panic, those are actually good things. Uh, that's, a, that's a sense of confidence that actually we, we now know what we're doing and we're responding and we're responding well. But you are right. Uh, it's, uh, it's easy for, uh, for officials and governments to, to think that means it's gone away. It's easy for, uh, uh, for governments to get distracted by new things and uh, uh, there's always new things to, uh, you know, that are on the agenda. So part of our job is saying, job's not done. Uh, more to do, and actually, um, we can do something really exciting here. Like you know, uh, a couple of years ago, it would have been unimagin- unimaginable uh, that we could end this epidemic. So, in terms of people living with HIV/AIDS, what will the money for NAPWA, the National Association of People with AIDS, what will their money be used for? Uh, so, for NAPWA, uh, uh, our partner organisation, uh, they provide leadership, and most importantly, they provide a voice. Uh, so, uh, so one of the things about the HIV response that's always been so important is uh, it's not about doctors telling patients what to do. It's not about public health officials, uh, you know, shouting at uh, at communities and uh, and telling them how to live their lives. Uh, it's been a very community-based, community-led response. Uh, and the principle here is that those who are most affected, people who have HIV, most of all, um, actually are the are the best place to actually say. Um, how can we how can we live our lives? How can we navigate our way through this epidemic, keeping ourselves well and healthy, and keeping our loved ones safe? And so we've had incredible leadership from uh, from people with HIV. It's really their leadership, their work that means that Australia has kept rates of HIV so low. Uh, so when we we talk about restoring funding to NAPWA, we're talking about restoring the leadership that they have to be working with governments at a national level and a state and territory level to say, this is what's going to work and this is what's not going to work and this is how we need to work together to actually uh, keep people well and, uh, and keep people safe. Daryl, on another matter, the Australian Federation of AIDS Organisations, your organisation, AFAO, hosted a community forum this week about monkeypox. What can you <laughs> tell us that, about that forum? What came out? What was discussed? Yeah, so... Um, uh, so we did we uh, did that earlier on this week for uh, for community workforce, and uh, I think we're all seeing uh, uh, you know quite troubling media from uh, about the outbreak in the northern hemisphere. I think uh, we're now looking at more than a thousand cases uh, in this outbreak. Um, monkeypox is uh, you know is a, is a quite a concerning uh, disease. It's uh, uh, for most people it's a relatively mild infection but it can be very severe for, uh, for some populations, for, for infants and young people, for pregnant women, uh, for people who are older and less well, for example. And so, so there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of work going on behind the scenes to, to make sure that our um, primary health care providers, our GPs, our nurses, um, are ready and equipped, that they've got the right um, uh, protective equipment, uh, PPE, as we all know from the COVID epidemic, to make sure that community workforces... Um, are armed with the information they need so that we can be getting the messages out to community about monkeypox. Uh, and, uh, and at this time, the main message on monkeypox is uh, if you've travelled, if you've recently returned, particularly from Europe, but if you've recently returned from overseas to Australia, 
and you're seeing, you know, you've got lumps and bumps or, or sores that are un unexpected, particularly uh, genital sores, um, uh, and, uh, and particularly if you're a gay or bisexual man, um, please head to your doctor and just get that checked out. So it sounds like there's only a small number of cases, but it sounds like it's been um, you know, unusually spreading among men who have sex with men in, in Western countries, in Western yeah, Europe and maybe here. That's exactly right. So we've had seven cases in Australia uh, so far, six of which have been uh, imported from overseas and, uh, and one a locally acquired case. Um, but it has... Um, uh, monkeypox uh, 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 in its... Um, uh, historic form doesn't actually travel between humans very well. And so I think there's a lot of surprise among public health uh, experts that we are seeing this outbreak, that there is clearly human-to-human -human transmission going on, um, not easily, but through, uh, through close physical contact. And what we're really talking about here is, um, is sex uh, and, uh, and being uh, physically intimate with someone, maybe sharing a bed with someone, etc. So, so when a person's has contact with uh, another person who has monkeypox and might have sores. Uh, it's that contact with the sores that's causing transmission. Uh, so it's causing concern because we, we don't normally see these outbreaks, and yet in the Northern Hemisphere there's been uh, a number of countries now that have experienced uh, outbreaks that are, uh, are obviously involving um, uh, uh, transmission between humans. Daryl, hopefully the situation with monkeypox is contained. Congratulations on your work securing funds from the new government for people living with HIV AIDS and for uh, HIV programs. Uh, and thank you so much for your time today on 3CR. I appreciate it. Thanks, James. Daryl O'Donnell there from the Australian Federation of AIDS Organisations. You are on In Your Face on 3CR and here's Christina Aguilera. What a girl wants, what a girl needs, whatever makes me Set you free. What a girl wants, what a girl needs, whatever keeps me, keeps me in your arms. Yeah, come on. Ooh, yeah. I wanna thank you for giving me time to breathe. Go rock your way to snow patiently while I got it together. Mm, while I figured it out. But I never touched Cause in my heart I was a picture of us Holding hands, making plans And it's lucky for me
Christina Aguilera there. What a girl wants. You are in your face on 3CR with James. Well, community publication out in Perth has celebrated its 20-year anniversary. On the line, we have the managing editor, Graham Watson. Graham, welcome back to the show. G'day. Fantastic news. Congratulations. 20 years of, of out in Perth. You must be elated. I've got to admit, I haven't been there for the whole 20 years. Um, I arrived back in Perth for Blue to go this season. It was a new gay and lesbian publication. So first I knew it as a reader, and I've been part of the team for 11 years now. It's fantastic. I mean, what's kept you guys going in this, you know, crazy kind of media landscape where so many queer publications have folded? You guys have been able to keep going for two decades. It's quite an extraordinary achievement. Well, clearly we're insane. That's what it is. Um, we just keep on going no matter what the obstacles are. And my God, there definitely have been some along the way. But, of course, out in Perth followed on from the West Side Observer and Scout that came before us. So there's, you know, queer publications have always struggled to keep going. And uh, I think uh, when we've hit those roadblocks, we've just found ways around them. And there have been times, I can tell you, where uh, Lee and I, who out in Perth, um, you know, have had a total of $20 in the bank and sat down and worked out, how are we going to pay rent? How are we going to eat? You know, because there's been those low moments, but you just keep on fighting through. So tell us about some of the memorable stories you've covered over the years. Um, there are so many, and it gets to the point now where sometimes I'll pick up an old issue out in the archives or I'll come across something on the website, I don't even remember doing the interview or doing the story. So such a massive amount of people we've talked to, stories we've told. Obviously the big things are things like marriage equality, you know, getting laws changed, getting the um, laws, you know, some of the court cases around trans gender recognition um, that we've covered on that time, they're very memorable. For me, one of the biggest things is not the actual day that marriage equality went through, but in 2015, in that marriage equality fight, we had a massive rally here in Perth where it was in the middle of you know winter. Uh, probably about 8,000 people turned up for this rally, um, which was the most we'd ever been by such a long way, and it bucketed down with rain. It poured down. And everyone stood down and got really, really wet while all the speeches went on. And for, you know, people in Perth to get wet, I knew that like, the marriage equality thing was going to go fine from that point on. Wow, yeah. So, you know, you've been a real source of, of activism, haven't you? You've been a voice for activism. You've been a voice for law reform. You've been a voice for community organising. You've really been a conduit for the community. Yeah, but I think also from the journalism point of view, we've also presented the other side of those arguments. So while we've been a voice for um, our own community, we've also given space to the other side of the discussion. And sometimes that's the hardest part to do because to sit down and talk to people who are, I find it quite intriguing, people are completely opposed to what it is that our community is you know, advocating for. People who think marriage equality would be the best, worst thing in the world or you know, they're against transgender rights or they're just... You know, they think that drag competitions should be banned. To sit down and talk to those people and say, where are you coming from? Can I understand what your concerns are? They're some of the most challenging interviews to do, but I'm proud we've always, you know, kind of gone into that discussion as well. And, and it's not always popular when you put your, your sort of opponents, your opposition voice in your space, but I think it's important we recognise both sides of all these discussions. Of course, you've covered quite a few election campaigns, state and federal, in 20 years. Uh, let's focus on the last election campaign, the federal election campaign that we've just had. What was that like for you in Western Australia covering it? Probably the most exciting election campaign we've had because we knew that Western Australia was going to matter this time. So often in federal elections, you know, on that election night when you've got your broadcast tallying up the votes, they've normally declared the winner shortly after the polls close in WA. Um, so normally we don't really get a look in, but we knew that this time WA was going to be really important, that there were seats in WA, you know, that were going to play a role in the final decision on who formed government. So that made it a much more engaging election campaign. And because of that, we saw the leaders from all sides of the campaign here in Western Australia a lot more than we normally would. Yeah, it was amazing, wasn't it? You know, I was watching the election coverage and, you know, for the first couple of hours before polls closed in WA, Anthony Green was saying, well, look, you know, it's going to be a hung parliament and we're not sure who's going to have the most number of seats. You know, once the result became clear in WA, it was a complete game changer. Yeah, I guess what we've seen sort of, you know, both on the federal election, especially the last state election we had in WA, is this Labor landslide. Um, you know, I think people were being quite... 
held back because there was a sort of a, an underground feeling that it might happen on a federal level. In a state election, the outcome was we only have two Liberal members in the lower house of our state parliament. There's just two of them. And there's, there's actually the opposition in Western Australia, the official recognised opposition is now the Nationals because they have more seats than the Liberals do and they're not in coalition. The Western Australian Nationals are a very different bunch to the Federal Nationals. So we had this huge change on the state level, and I think there was a little feeling it was going to happen at federal, but no one was really willing to commit to it. And then we definitely saw it come through with the number of states that changed hands. So what's news out west at the moment? What stories are you running with? The big thing I think that's going on in WA at the moment is um, around surrogacy. Um, the state government, um, um, in their last term, said they were going to change the laws around surrogacy, and it's completely stalled. Um, we had one Liberal member, Nick Garan, who gave a massive filibuster speech that in total, I think, went for about 26 hours. It went over several weeks. Um, so it just got completely bogged down in the upper house and then completely abandoned. They've just announced that they're going to start looking at that legislation again. Um, there's a new committee that's been formed to look into how the state's laws around surrogacy and reproductive technology need to be updated. And, of course, the one which is not so much happening in WA, but we're certainly talking about a lot, is how we tackle things like conversion and change and suppression laws. Um, we've seen this week Tasmania have announced to do some laws. Obviously, you already have them in Victoria. Queensland's done it, the ACT. Here in WA, our government decided they just kind of tighten up the registration around counsellors and psychologists, and that would be enough. People are really disappointed with this response, and I think that's one that's going to continue on as a point of discussion probably for, you know, the next year or two until maybe some real action might be taken. Because you'd think Mark McGowan would have the political capital to do something about it with his enormous majority and control well, of both it's, houses. It's such a huge majority to the point that uh, we went to uh, Pride in Parliament as an event sort of a, a, that all parties are involved in during our Pride Festival in November. And it was interesting talking to some of those new Labor members because there's so many of them they can't fit in the party room. The room is not big enough. Um, they have to think in another space. And the Premier has admitted that, you know, this, after the election, he couldn't remember all his members' names because there were just so many of them. Um, you know, but having that capital and actually doing something with it, and it's turned out they're two very different things. So why do you think Mark McGowan is dragging his feet on conversion practices? I think here in Western Australia, you know, we... Even though a lot of people voted for the Labor Party, they are voters who traditionally have been quite conservative. They've made a change this time, and I think if they want to hold on to them, we're seeing quite a conservative um, approach from our Labor government. Uh, so uh, there are a lot of issues where it's uh, a cautious approach rather than a, a bold approach. So, um, yeah, this is a political landscape. I, I think as a state, I don't think we've changed who we are as people, even though we might have changed who we voted for. So it sounds like, you know, it's a bit of a squandered opportunity from the McGowan government so far in relation to LGBTIQ community issues. Yeah, they do. The criticism has been there that they seem to have forgotten about things. I mean, in their first term, they put up a health plan for the LGBTI community, and it's been described as the road to nowhere plan, because for all the planning, unless you put money behind it and you put actual actions behind it, not a lot happens. Um, so, yeah, LGBTI issues... We're in our second term of the Labor government, and they do seem to just not be at the forefront. You know, I think once, you know, you're in power and you look like you've been in power for a long time, there's not so much pressure, you know, because, you know, it's uh, the numbers are well in their favour. Well, Graham, congratulations on out in Perth's 20th anniversary. It's quite an achievement. Congratulations to you and Lee Andrew Hill uh, for your great work, and thank you so much for joining me today on 3CR. Thanks, Dave. Graham Watson there, the managing editor of Out in Perth. You are on In Your Face on 3CR, and here's Sam Ferreira. Sounds funny, but I just can't stand the pain. And I'm leaving you tomorrow. Seems to me, girl, you know I've done all I can. You see, I beg, stole, and I borrowed. 
Razor, but that's deeply irrelevant. What is relevant is that you're listening to 3CR on what's that frequency again, dear? 855. I told you, Helen. 855. And what is relevant is that you're not listening to that other crap. So well done.
And it's on the jump. You are in your face on 3CR with James, joined by community activist, advocate, trans sociologist, Bent TV presenter. The list goes on. Ricky Spencer. Ricky, welcome back to the show. Oh, hi, James. And lovely to be with everyone here on this uh, freezing, well, semi-freezing cold day. I'm, I'm in. The, I'm actually live. It's like I'm doing like a live um, uh, thing here, uh, right in Swanston Street. So let's hope the noise doesn't. Um, impact our call. <laughs> well, it's great to hear your voice. You've been so busy as usual. I mean, you just keep going and, you know, being an inspiration to us all with your activism. Oh, darling, you have to, you know, you have to. And it doesn't matter if you're old like me, you know, you keep getting the legs to go and you do as much as you can. And I've done, I've just got so many exciting things to, to tell you and your listeners. Where to start, Ricky? Where would you like to start? Okay. Well, firstly, look, I want to give a big plug for Thorn Harbour Health. There's three spaces that I'm currently volunteering in, and I just want to welcome our listeners. One is um, Black Queer Yarning, which is for anybody who identifies as First Nations and queer. And you can be living anywhere in Australia, and we meet once a month on Zoom. Um, and if you look up Thorn Harbour, details they'll be provided. It is facilitated by myself and Peter Crow. So that's a fabulous space. The second, of course, is Novus, trans women. We, we meet monthly and we've got a surprise guest this month. <laughs> and the other one, which is a new one, which is called Admin, which is for people who are maybe trying to deal with alcohol and drug issues. And um, that's an important one. So I really want to plug that. So if you feel you may have a problem... There's a safe space. It's on Zoom. It's very private. Come and have a chat with us. We want to help, and that would be fabulous. Fantastic. I mean, that's only a Thorn Harbour work. Of course, you have started your show on Bent TV. Tell us about that on Channel 31. Oh, look, I love that to death. You know, I've, always, I've always really wanted to speak with people and share that, that sort of community, um, grassroots people. And my latest guest is... Um, We've got, uh, of course, Wombat, uh, David Lyons, who uh, does incredible work with our scouts and making sure it's inclusive for, especially for our trans and gender-diverse students and those uh, young people, sorry, and those with disabilities. So big plug there. If you are queer and you want to help out, there is a space for you there because um, there's so much work that can be done. All the kids are looking for really good role models. So, you know, that's a big plus. Um, we've got a special guest coming up too. Um, we've got a sexologist, of all people, um, to talk to us about all the wonderful things that um, if you're gender diverse and trans, how to, get, how to have a healthy uh, and well-meaningful relationship. And, of course, we're going to have Todd Fernando to come and speak to us and tell us all the exciting things that, with this fabulous new government, hooray, with our funding and our support for our LGBTIQ community. So that's a big plus. So tell us the name of your show and when people can tune in. Absolutely. It's Quest by Community, Bent TV production, and you can um, catch it. I think, um, darling, I'm not too good, but I know it's if you Google it on Bent TV. I think it's on a Friday night. They, they, they have them, about, I think, about... 9.30 or 10 p.m., but on the internet. But, um, look, you know, it's fabulous, and you will people will enjoy it. Well, I hope you will, because it's something that could, comes from my heart, and I really want to have grassroots, grassroots guests as well from all around uh, Victoria talking about the wonderful things they do to help our communities and so, grow. So it sounds like you're pre-recording the show. What's it like being on a TV set? Um, look, it's quite... Oh, look, I, I actually quite enjoy it because... For me, it's it's similar to what I do with some other spaces, but you know, it's getting personal with the person. You know, having that that real deep connection face to face, and you know, sometimes you can't get that you know via Zoom, and just being able to connect with the person, you know, getting to know a little bit about them, um, yeah. But you know, it is quite sometimes a bit difficult because I have a few memory <laughs> issues, so I have to remember you know, how to ask the question and timing <laughs> and I, where I place my hands. <laughs> it's been incredible watching you on social media because you seem to be everywhere. And one of the things I love that you do to engage with the community is you'll meet someone and you'll take a photo with them, which is awesome. Then you'll post it. You know what? I love it because at my age, when I was younger, you know, I, I was so scared, frightened, I always told I was ugly and should, you know, 
you know, shouldn't be anywhere near people. And now I'm standing up for myself and I'm proud to meet people. And it's my way of sharing that with everyone to say, you know what, be yourself, go out there, meet people. And I've always learned that, you know what, you can meet a hundred people and maybe one of them maybe become a friend. And that's how I take it, you know, like the whole community, I'm always looking to make friends. And the other quick plug, if I may, is with the Greens. We're having a big event over the weekend. We're doing a big, um, I'm doing a, a, what do you call it, presentation about disrupting white privilege in queer spaces. And, of course, I'm lucky enough to be um, hosting that with um, a Russell uh, Weston, who's the Interpride um, uh, 20 representative for Australia and the 20 other countries. And, of course, Esther Williams, who is the founder and chair of Elders Pride Alliance. <laughs> so that's going to be so exciting. So how that's do you, tomorrow. how do you, give us some tips, how do you disrupt that kind of, you know, white privilege within queer spaces? What are some of your tips for well, people about yeah, how you do it? Yeah, this is something that, as you know, part of my PhD that I'm working on, and it's actually a three-part process. And one is actually getting the messages out there about whose voices. So we make sure whenever I assist people with presentations, I get the people who the community needs to speak to be actually on the table, to make, you know, to say, to call it out, as I call it, what's not happening. So we're looking at things like funding allocations, the number of people who are queer, black um, and people of colour. Who who are they? Are they in governance in our queer spaces? Do they run programs? Are they listened to? Can they lead? And these are the things that we make discussions. It's not about being hostile. It's just about calling out where we think it's time to give more opportunities to people, especially First Nations, the ability to to run and and govern uh, spaces. And of course, you have so many intersections as a, as a trans woman of colour, as a person with a disability, mm. and as a person that's you know been a social worker. You know, you worked at Centrelink for years. You've just got yeah. so much hands on kind of um, experience working with marginalised people. That must be a great source of inspiration for your PhD and for your activism. Yeah, it, it, it has it has my darling. But you see, well, to be authentic, to be an authentic scholar. In my area, I, I really felt I had to kind of park a little bit about my theory writing and I wanted to keep doing this year and next year, grassroots, getting with people, helping change, you know, getting the movers, getting now with the government, steering it in the right direction in terms of assisting in funding applications, making sure that people, you know, of colour, people, you know, living with disabilities, including invisible disabilities, can come to the table can put submissions in and then can lead, you know, with co-design in other um, other strategies. It's so important that, you know, those of us who are privileged enough to, to be able to, to write and, and to know some of the systems, to impart that and share that information and wealth with the others in the community so everybody can come to the table, so everybody has a voice and a right to be here. You've also been doing work with the Black Greens. Tell us about your work with them. Yes, well, we're actually establishing that now through uh, the Greens, um, the Australian Greens. So we're looking at just putting a platform uh, Australia-wide. We're looking at now with the policies announced in terms of uh, the funding for LGBTIQ health and better servicing, we just want to put together like a position statement in relation to what we think some of the areas that need to be covered. And it's also about giving us a visibility presence, you know, within the Greens, that we just know that we do, you know, at the core we have the values, we follow the pillar um, of, of values, but we also want to have a presence to say, hey, don't forget about us. <laughs> there are some of us who live in, some of our communities live in regional spaces, in remote spaces, who don't have access to good health and safety, you know, so we really need to kind of to put that into, you know, to some sort of concept and context so that we address that. And we address that through, you know, governance. You know, we take it up to the to the, the, you know, the parliamentary committees and we say, hey, let's try and fund this area. Let's get some locals, let's get some elders from the local area queer and come together and see what are their needs that come from them and what we can do to resource it. You know, because we want to do things like, you know, what what's happening in our Bendigo with the clothes, you know, the clothes uh, swap that, you know, gorgeous Zara 
Jones does. You know, we want to help our mob in, you know, regional spaces and remote so they can feel good. Because, you know what, sometimes it's nice to get some clothes just to make you feel good as a starting base because it's really difficult to get access to shops and to feel safe doing that. So that's one of our more one of my big passions to uh, to get that up and running um, this year and next year as well. And hopefully there'll be a pathway to work with the new government and to work with the new Indigenous Affairs Minister, Linda Burney. Uh, Absolutely. And, and Todd Fernando, you know, we've got his support. You know, he's a great uh, supporter of our, our community, of queer community from all intersections and all spaces. So I think we're in a good position now. And you must feel, it sounds like you, you haven't been kind of, you know, depressed about about the transphobia during the election campaign, or if you have, you've come through the other side. It sounds like you're feeling really optimistic. Yes, I am, because, you know, I put that, I park that, I process that, and I think, you know what, that's just somebody's idea. That's just somebody's, perhaps that's their way of thinking. I can't change people's thinking. All I can do is be positive, put steps into place, you know, to position why we need safety, why we need a place on the table, why our voices have a right to be heard, and I'll leave it at that. I don't go into the politics of, you know, when I get called out still or yelled at or abused or spat on. I just put that all aside because I think, you know what, I can't change that. That's the other. That's, that's external. I just focus on what I can do as one person, you know, of, of trans who can go out there, make a statement, and, you know, while I'm still be able to walk with my walking stick, I will keep walking and trying to make change. And, you know, that's why I'm now involved with Volunteer Victoria, because we want to make change. We want to include everybody's voices and everybody can come and go. And I would encourage everybody, if you have a few hours, you know, consider doing some volunteer work because, you know what, it's changed my life. You know, I feel now as though, James, I have a purpose, you know, Instead of just being a disabled trans woman who couldn't get teaching work because she's trans, well, now she's out in the community and she's working for the whole community. And it really is one of the most inspirational communities, you know, community stories, you know, your, your transformation, you know, your, your activism and just how you really kind of, you know, um, shown so much leadership within the community over the last two years since you came out as trans. It's been wonderful. Oh, well, thank you, James. But you know what? It's about the people, you know. It's about hearing their stories, you know, somehow giving a platform for people to be heard. And, you know, it's time in our community that we really give the person that, you know, that, that perhaps from whatever reason hasn't had an opportunity to speak. Because, you know what? We can all learn from each other, you know, and that's what we're learning now, even in research spaces, that the biggest, the best, rich informational policy it comes from the lived experience of somebody, how they interact with their environment, how they access the resource and sources and what they feel is lacking, you know, what needs to change. And through that, we make better planning decisions for everybody. Ricky Spencer, it's always wonderful to chat with you on 3CR. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. It's been truly inspirational. Oh, and James, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak and I wish all your listeners a beautiful, safe, happy night. Stay warm, keep your animals warm and remember, if you've got something extra, always share with your friends. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ricky. Uh, talk soon. Okay, my darling. Take care. Ricky Spencer there. You are on In Your Face on 3CR. I am out of here. Jacob is up next with a Friday rave. He'll be in the studio real soon. Don't forget, next week is our Radiothon show, so we'll be asking you to donate. You can donate early at 3cr.org.au forward slash donate, but we'll catch you next week on In Your Face. Taking us out is Florence and the Machine. Bye, everyone. Drifting through the halls with the sunrise Holding on for your call Climbing up the walls for that flashing light I can never let go Cause I'm gonna be free and I'm gonna be fine Holding on for your call Cause I'm gonna be free and I'm gonna be fine Maybe not tonight Now the sun is up and I'm going blind Holding on for your call Another drink just to pass the time I can never say
Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex, and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> 